just not enough. Oh, oh, man. From New York City, it's the Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary Knoll. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll, broadcasting live from our studios in New York City. The program is called Talk Back. It is about you having the opportunity to call in and share your points of view. Talk Back was started 35 years ago on Sunday nights. And for many of those years, for 30 years, Dr. Martin Feldman shared the mic, and we will have questions coming in from all over. Well, now we have questions coming in, and the questions can be from health issues, statements you would like to make, uh, interest, any human interest stories. It's an open forum, providing that it is something that empowers us, something that can stimulate thought, and dialogue in a constructive way. Our number is 888-874-4888. That's 888-874-4888. We'll be taking your calls as soon as uh, you're able to make them, and we'll put you on the line. In the interim, we have invited Elizabeth McCormick, who receives your calls and emails and texts, to come on, and she's going to go through some of them, and they can be in any areas. I always ask Elizabeth, don't make them all on health because there's so many other issues except for health. Of course, I have some on health, but let's look at the full spectrum of what we encounter in our daily lives. And I'd like to address any of those. So it's always fun to see what you have that you're interested in. So hi, Elizabeth. Nice to have you with us. Hello, Gary. Hi, nice to be here. Um, we had a lot of reaction to your open letter to Michael Moore, and um, I've just got two here that basically summarize it. The first is from Linda in Albuquerque. She said, I read your letter to Michael Moore. I was struck by the contradictions in his recent appearances I've seen between what he advocated in his films and what he's advocating by supporting Hillary Clinton. Please, could you address this? And the other one, uh, similar, is Jacob from Toronto. He says he, he saw that you wrote an open letter to Michael Moore, and do you think that it's going to make a difference? I do not know if it'll make a difference. I sent the letter three days before I made it public, hoping I would have a private conversation with Michael on the topic. Michael and I have known each other for a long time, and I have certainly supported many of his films and his efforts. Um, if you look at Michael's films, such as Sicko, it was a very good explanation of what other countries are doing to protect their citizens with universal single-payer coverage without c consideration of a person's ability to pay. And he used an example in his film of an individual losing some fingers in an accident in the United States and a person being challenged they could only afford to reconnect re one of the fingers. So which finger would it be? Whereas someone suffering from the same type of accident in Canada, they would have all their fingers sewed back on and no expense to them. And it was also looking at the expenses of medical procedures. Now, I've written extensively on this. I've produced at least five major films, such as The War on Health, The Drugging of Our Children, Prescription for Disaster, Autism Made in the USA, Vaccine Nation, as just some that highlight the absurdity of only having a corporate medical pharmaceutical model for health. Not included in that model would be things such as exercise, body-mind practices such as meditation, prayer, um, creative visualization, uh, we wouldn't have anything on acupuncture, homeopathy, chiropractic, uh, herbalism, different types of dietary approaches such as raw food, a lot of juicing, living foods, Mediterranean diet, the Creek diet, the Hunza diet, 
the uh, Okinawan diet, the Japanese diet, all of these diets have been shown to substantially extend a person's life and reduce the risk of major illnesses, including heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and obesity. We don't even consider the diets of individuals living in Africa who are living in a more natural state of diet. We have to go clear back to the 1960s and 70s with Dennis Burkett and uh, Dr. John Yetkin, the first chair of a Department of Nutrition at a European uh, institution of higher learning, and Dr. John Cleave, who was a physician in the Royal Navy. Now, they all had something in common. They all found that when you have high levels of roughage, and one part of roughage is fiber, but you're also getting more fruits and vegetables and whole grains and whole grain breads, that you're going to have less diverticulitis, spastic colon, appendicitis, less diabetes, less obesity. And they all wrote about this. And they had their own struggles. But the most interesting person I interviewed amongst those individuals was Dr. Dennis Burkett, who discovered Burkitt's lymphoma. And Dr. Burkett told me, I went to England to interview all three, uh, Burkett told me that when he was overseeing some 67 East African hospitals, he never once saw a case of appendicitis. Heart attacks were so rare that when someone was to have had a heart attack, other physicians would go there to examine the person. Obesity was non-existent. And many of these people were living very long lives. And providing that they were not malnourished, they could live over 100. And he saw men uh, who had the energy and strength of a 20-year-old who were in their 70s and 80s. And yet, all of this great information was not translated back into how we can change our lifestyles to exercise more, to eat more close to nature, more clean, healthy, living foods. And because between the doctors and scientists discovering this information and we benefiting from it was an enormous medical-industrial complex that would filter all information and a food complex that would then have to figure out, is anything you're saying going to be adverse to our products. And in case of Yutkin, Yutkin was the one who's told me, he said, Gary, he showed me a British medical journal from around 1900, and it showed that there were very big concerns about the diseases they were seeing from people consuming too much sugar. The average amount of sugar at that time was six pounds per year. That's six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Today it's over 200 and 50 pounds per year. And there, there were concerned. Today, we're not. I'm doing a new article that will be released uh, later this week on um, why we're not learning from any of the science whatsoever, no matter how many studies we produce. In fact, I, I was just uh, dictating last, late last night uh, the last uh, parts of it, and in that, I stated that if we had 10 million articles showing the danger of sugar, absolute irrefutable proof, cancer, heart disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, arthritis, it wouldn't change a single thing, not in medicine, not in nutrition, not in dietetic sciences, not in public health policy, not in the federal guidelines at USDA, not in anything at all. The only thing that might change, might, are individuals who have already committed themselves to a healthier diet using it to reinforce that the choices they made proactively were the right choices. Will it cause the average person to stop what they're doing? No. And hence, when, uh, when Burkett told me that we're not going to change because they took all of his research on roughage, meaning the whole plant, he was using the example of millet, which is very common. It's called the poor man's protein in Africa. And he said by the time that information had been filtered down it was no longer roughage, whole grains. It was fiber that you could buy in a teaspoon and put it in a glass of water. You didn't have to change your diet. You didn't have to exercise. You didn't have to do anything except take your fiber. Then, of course, the number one cause of constipation became too much 
use of laxatives. So the body's natural ability to create peristalsis, the wave-like rhythmic movement of allowing food to pass through the intestine and be digested and absorbed and eliminated, was gone. So without a laxative, you couldn't have a normal bowel movement. But had you had roughage, you wouldn't have the itises. You wouldn't have the constipation. You wouldn't have the problem. But we couldn't just allow that concept because it would have radically threatened the processed food industry, the white bread industry, the, the, fat, the junk food industry, the french fries, potato chips, the pretzels, the bagels, the hot dogs and the hamburgers. It would have threatened it. So what we have to understand, Elizabeth, is that standing from the truth to you, the person, is a whole myriad in this gauntlet that a truth must run. And the gauntlet beats the hell out of every truth that starts its journey towards consciousness. From conception through conscious raising, you have the person's own epigenetic conditioned self. What they refuse to change, even when they're doing something wrong, even when they're not going to have a good outcome, because either they don't want the discomfort of withdrawing from a bad habit. If you doubt me, then you would have had to spend the years I spent at Trafalgar Hospital in the Institute of Applied Biology, where I was a senior research fellow in nutritional and biochemical sciences and anti-aging, trying to work with people getting off all forms of substance, drugs, alcohol, and many of them would rather die than give up that momentary euphoric place that they could withdraw and have no connection to the pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain of the real world. And if you didn't have those people, it's the people who dull their senses by distraction. So they never have to have a completely clear understanding of reality. The reality is just too much for them to look at. If you have to look at truth, and if truth is a searing reflection of your inappropriate behavior, your wrong choices, and you don't want to feel guilt or shame, you don't want to feel bad about making stupid or bad choices, then distract yourself. Watch reality TV. Keep yourself chronically busy. Waste a lot of time in a lot of meaningful, meaningless relationships. Uh, uh, Spend all day with non-friends on a friendship board. Go out on these meaningless, stupid dates that these um, pathetically unhappy people have to find on these dating sites, it's all a game of distraction. All because that truth is something you don't want. You see, our problem is we try to push ropes uphill. Try it. Tell me if you've ever been able to push a rope up a hill. We have spent our time trying to help people who've made consistently wrong choices and are aware of it and are defiant in it until the day they get their heart attack, their stroke, their cancer, their dementia. They lose their job, they go bankrupt. They're divorced, and then in that clarion moment, they stop and say, what just happened? And the universe says, friend, it just wasn't just now. Turn around and look at all the choices you've made. Where did you think your choices would lead you? You see, we don't understand, Elizabeth, the power of a conditioned belief system. Hence, we're not able to control our own thoughts. We have about 55,000 thoughts per 24 hours. We don't understand the central meaning of our life. We only understand the meaning that was given to us, implanted in the epigenetics of our being, that we were not good enough to be loved, respected, and appreciated. Hence, we have to prove to others our value. And almost always when someone is coming from a negative perception of self, they're going to overcompensate, overwork, overcommit. And when you overdo anything, you lose balance of what you're doing. And there is, it's inevitable there's going to be a tipping, just like if you're on a tightrope and you're walking, and in your hand is that pole that balances you. But one day, guilt and shame of the choices you've made or you've been believing that you should suffer from guilt and shame is on one side of the pole, like a bird landing on the pole. And now it's starting to imbalance you. And so you think, oh, goodness, that's not good. And then you start making some other choices that are on that pole. 
And now you're afraid of moving any further, so you stay stuck. You're afraid if you move forward, you're going to make a mistake and then have to go through the repercussions of being challenged, criticized, so you don't move. Now, ask most people, when was the last time you fundamentally moved in your life? When did you actively change? When did you actively pursue something before you crashed, before you tipped? The time to make choices is before there is a crisis, not after the consequence of a crisis is you've been given one more opportunity. And yet, because we don't know the central meaning of our lives, most people don't, we look for meaning through what we possess. We look through meaning through buying or possessing the object of happiness. And when we put all of our energy over years of obtaining these things, we wake up one day and we're not happy. And boy, that really hurts us because we were supposed to be happy if we had A, B, C, and D. Well, we got those things. Why aren't we happy? So we don't look at the role of fear and insecurity playing on the choices we make. And with that, we don't have the power of trust. A person who is going to be healthy has to be happy. A person who's healthy and happy is going to make choices based upon understanding there's a consequence to the choice they make. That means they must engage in the power of trust. I trust that I'm capable of making changes that are right for me in the world I live in. Now go back. Rewind this discussion. Michael Moore talked about how other people in other countries made better choices in how they wanted to be governed and were willing to pay higher taxes in order to have that health care be there for them when they needed it. Smart move. We in the United States, we have relied either on a completely corrupt and compromised governmental agency to oversee what to do and they never do it right, or we believe in the free market which only has profit as its interest. And we never hold those corporations or the corporate consciousness or the corporatization of our lives responsible when it's blatant that they've made wrong choices. Viox was known when its development for increasing the risk of heart attack and stroke. Hence, everyone in the approval circle, the board of directors, the people in high places within the company, they all went ahead and greenlighted it because they knew it would be a blockbuster hit. And in four years, it gained about $22 billion in sales. And they were right. Based upon the system of governance and cause and effect and legal protection for corporate entities, they paid $5 billion in penalties and fines, settled all their lawsuits, and they got to keep $17 billion. So in, in the business community, they made a good choice. The fact that there were between 60,000 to 500,000 Americans who died another 125 to 50,000 who had heart attack and stroke and were never followed up to see how many of them had died, that's irrelevant. It's, it's not important. They served their purpose. They were part of the commodification of medicine now. So when I said that everything has to be filtered, everything is filtered in the United States. We can't handle the truth because the truth would, in effect, shine a light on everything else that is not the truth. So we filter it. And when we filter the truth, we give it, uh, we give it a different uh, impression, like the so-called white helmets that are wanted to... They, the world wants us to believe that these are dedicated, diligent, and wonderful human beings in Syria that are, um, that are making a big difference. But it's not true. In fact... Uh, they were urging the Nobel Committee to award this year's Nobel Peace Prize to the White Helmets, the, the UK Guardian, and the Independent both. Now, you're from England. You know the Independent and the Guardian. They have big readerships. Mm-hmm. So they had to spin a story. So they had to filter the truth, exclude anything, accept what they wanted to be believe, and then they had to accept without critical judgment everything that the White Helmets were doing. It turns out If you want to look at the truth, that the White Helmets are terrorists. There are actually pictures of these rebels in Syria 
standing on the bodies of citizens and Syrian soldiers that they killed. And it was purely a propaganda campaign. Everything was a propaganda campaign. Do you remember when we were told we had to go into Iraq because of weapons mass destruction? Yeah. That was propaganda. Do you remember when in 1991 we were told by George W. Bush we had to go into Iraq because the Iraqis had invaded Kuwait, and in a hospital there a woman comes before Congress all crying and said how the Iraqi soldiers threw babies out of incubators on the floor so they could take the incubators back to Iraq, and then that motivated America and the media to get angry and say, we're not going to allow them to throw babies on a floor out of incubators, so we invaded. That was the pretense. It turns out that that woman testifying was the daughter of one of the royals in Iraq and an ambassador. It was all made up. A public relations firm made it all up. The Gulf of Tonkin got us into Vietnam, made it all up. And so all we end up having are lies told to us, but the media is a part of the problem. The institutions that are involved are a part of the problem. So now you've got the medical industrial complex, and you've got the food industrial complex. You've got two that work together. They are always symbiotic. And so the truth comes along. We should be eating more raw food, having fresh juices, eating organic, non-GMO, not eating the processed sugars, not having the artificial sweeteners, not having the pesticides, the herbicides, the fungicides, not doing mono-agriculture, exercising every day, meditating, not working too hard, not stressing, being free to be healthy. To be free to be healthy, you have to be conscious. And instead of allowing that to happen, all of that conspires to say that's all nonsense, it's pseudoscience, the people we're advocating are just quacks. And so then the average person who is not a critical thinking person to begin with, then they do not understand what or who controls their choices. So now along comes Michael Moore, who does a program bowling for Columbine. Now, I went out, and I, I filmed all the people in Colorado for drugging of our children, and they all said the same thing. Why didn't Michael put in there what we were talking about when it came to drugs and that Eric Harrison's were on drugs? They were normal kids before they were on the drugs. It was the drugs that caused these homicidal uh, qualities. And, in fact, the side effects of the drugs they're on create acute anxiety and homicidal tendencies, the desire to hurt someone. And that would play out by showing 90% of all the mass murders in the last 25 years, 30 years, have been on these same anti-psychotic medications. And yet not once have you seen the media blame the drugs that the killers were on when they go into a school and shoot up people. It's always drugs, or it's always guns, guns, guns. Because that's the narrative. That's the narrative of those people supporting the gun issue. So when I brought this to Michael's attention, Michael came into the studio and refilmed, and he said, in Prescription for Disaster, yeah, why aren't we paying attention to drugs? Now, he could have done that in his own film, Bowling for Columbine. He did it in the film I, I produced. And when I told Michael that we have to be very careful, the Clintons, because these are neocons, don't take my word for it. Look at the taking away of the Glass-Steagall Act, which allowed casino capitalism and what ultimately led to the meltdown, financial meltdown. That was the Clintons. And that was their Secretary of the Treasury. That was Robert Rubin and Larry Summers and a young neophyte working with them uh, who would later become Secretary of Treasury. They were surrounded by think tanks, the Council on Foreign Relations, and others that kept supplying them with thousands of so-called experts, and then they, three, three, uh, three strikes and you're out. Uh, they put more people in prison. They gave money for building prisons, twice as much money to build prisons, to incarcerate people, as they did building schools. They took away subsidies that were helping single parents on welfare, and now those single parents and their children were out on the street. So the question is, if you support someone who is a fascist, if you support people who actually went on the record acknowledging through their Secretary of, of, of State, Madeleine Albright, that it was completely acceptable to cause the death of 500,000 children in Iraq from sanctions because they 
wouldn't allow them to purify their water after they intentionally bombed the water supply and bombed the electrical grid, which is a violation of the um, Nuremberg laws and the Geneva Convention. You can't bomb infrastructures that are necessary for civilians. And they did it. And on 60 Minutes, being interviewed by Leslie Stahl, Madeleine Albright said to the question, is it worthwhile to have had 500,000 children die? She said, yes. So if it's worthwhile to have 500,000 people die because of what you did, and if you knew in advance there was going to be an uprising in Rwanda and you allowed 900,000 people to be slaughtered, mainly the uh, Tutsi by the Hutu, then how can any responsible person who has any humanistic values support that person? Because what they've done in the past, aligning with big business, corporate interest, aligning with fascists, aligning with killers, aligning with Saudi Arabia that is slaughtering women and gays, how do you then go before a group of women and saying, isn't it nice that I'm for you? Are you for the women in Iraq? Are you for the women in, in, uh, in Syria? How about Libya? What happened to all the millions of women in Libya who were living normal, healthy lives, had the longest life expectancy in Africa, the Middle East, including longer than the Israelis, the most educated, 89.4% of the population were educated, had the highest uh, savings and income, had no debt. Women's rights were absolute. They had the most women in their legislative uh, parliament than any country in the Middle East. They made the United States look like a banana republic by comparison. You, Hillary Clinton, destroyed them. Now, do those women count? Do their children count? Do all the millions of people we see dying in boats trying to get from the north of Africa into Italy and uh, from there into Spain and other countries, do you take any responsibility? So Michael Moore has every right to his opinions, but it would seem if you took a look at what he's done in his movies and what he does when he puts on his baseball hat as if he's one of the regular guys, then either we have to believe that he is supporting known fascists who will not disavow their allegiances, who engage in dirty tricks, and will continue to align with Wall Street, Big Pharma. Or we have to say, then why would you do these movies? Which, which Michael Moore should we believe, Michael? Which one? Let us know. And so what will happen? I have no idea. Will it influence anyone? Probably not. It may reinforce some deeper thinking in people who might have thought that maybe Hillary's a better selection than Trump. Well, Clinton and Trump are like saying, okay, we got to take one venereal disease. Is it going to be herpes 1, 2, and 6 or syphilis? Why not Elizabeth Warren, who represents all positive choices for the future? That would have been the reasonable choice, in my opinion. That's why I'm supporting Elizabeth Warren, and I hope other people realize you lose today, yes, but you create coalitions. You create optimism and hope for the millions of millennials who want to build towards a future that they will be a part of by understanding you do it through lots of grassroots movement. The Democratic club will not allow reform. Bernie Sanders was either complicit or extraordinarily naive, assuming that uh, the Democratic apparatus would change because he was taking back all these people. And in effect, he was a Pied Piper for the corporate Democrat and corporate liberal. Hope that answers that question. Thank you very much. Now let's go over and say hello to Bernard in Queens. Hi, Bernard, your turn. Well, Gary, good to hear you. Gary, I was wondering, since this economy is so in the uh, hip-hop hiccup, I was wondering, are we due for a crash if uh, either of those guys get in office? Okay, well, let's look at it this way. Do, how much debt do you have, Bernard, compared to your income or savings? None. Good. The United States 
average person, average person has $16,000 in credit card debt. It'll be 40000 by the time they pay it off when you include compounding interest. There's over uh, $33,000 in average uh, college debt. That's not graduate school. That's four-year college. Graduate school goes up to two, dollars $300,000 if you get a law degree or medical degree or in about 120000 with an MBA. You have to add in car loans, debt, mortgage debt, and now you start looking at all the debts, and the average American put them all together at $16 trillion. Corporate debt is over $26 trillion. State debt is over $5 trillion. Unfunded entitlements are over $75 trillion, and that adds into about $19 trillion for the federal government. When you add up all of our debt and you compare it to our gross domestic product, even being optimistic that it's $18 trillion, and it really isn't $18 trillion because out of that $18 trillion, a high percentage of the money coming in is coming from people buying things on credit card where they have no asset to pay for it. Therefore, you cannot, through some magic, magic of economic alchemy, say that my debt is an asset. Your debt is not an asset. If you buy an asset with savings and disposable income and have no lien against it, then it's an asset that will depreciate or appreciate depending upon what you purchase. But if you buy something with a credit card, with money you do not have, now you have to pay that credit card with another credit card and that credit card with another credit card, you're kiting credit cards, then how in the world can we say that this is a quality gross domestic product? We have 102 0.6 million Americans who could work who are not employed. And yet we say we have a 5.1% unemployment rate. It is closer to 28% overall, but if you include minorities, it's up to 42%. So we are completely bankrupt. Our gross domestic product or our total debt, total debt is 1,200%. We have the highest level of debt to gross domestic product in the world. We make every other country that's doing bad look good by comparison, but we have the military might, we have the capacity to print money, we have quantitative easing, which helps corporations, not the average person. We have the Federal Reserve, a completely corrupt organization made up of the 12 regional banks that make a profit, but they deny it and are not under any federal restraints or authority. When we should have interest-free money printed by our treasury and eliminate the Federal Reserve completely, Forgive the debt that is owed to banks because we bail the banks out. And forgive the debt of the average person and start from scratch and do it right. And we're not willing to do that. We should put a foreclosure on home, a, 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 a clause now by executive order to prevent any more home foreclosures. We should start to re-industrialize America's uh, cities, and we could do that if we put jobs into the cities coming from the cities, and we're not willing to do that either because we look at everything and everyone as a profit model. That's a model we're working with, except for about 5% of the people. So right now, worldwide, we are floating on over $120 trillion in debt worldwide. So the entire world economy is bankrupt. Uh, and if you think the only way out is to continue to print money or for the central banks, like the European Central Bank or the Federal Reserve, to continue to print money to give to corporations, all you do is create larger corporations, but it doesn't trickle down to anyone. So we're not going to change that system with the people we have in power, and so it is inevitable that within the next 24 months we have not a recession, a full-fledged depression. You cannot have that many people unemployed. You cannot have that many people at the poverty level. You cannot have that much hunger. You cannot have that much homelessness without there being a consequence. And so what will happen is that the resources that do exist will go to protect those people in green zones. So the most affluent areas with the most important resources and people being the resources will be protected. But the rest will not be. So it will be live, like living in either an oasis of protected uh, security where you have theater, you have restaurants, you have clothes, you have a mall, you have anything you'd normally want, but you step outside that green zone, now you're in Mad Maxville. 
That I see happening within the next two years. That is even aside from any environmental catastrophe that is likely to happen. We already have had seven once-in-500-year events in the last 12 months. And right now, do you hear a single thing about the one parish, just one of dozens of parishes in Louisiana, where 85,000 homes were uh, damaged or destroyed? And if you figure three people to four people per home, you're talking about over a quarter million people, and they have no place to live, and they weren't covered by flood insurance because it had never flooded there, and they don't have any money. So how are they supposed to rebuild? Where are they supposed to live? What are they supposed to eat? Where are they supposed to go? Have you heard a single thing about it in the news cycle? No. Nope. Not a single word. Nothing. So we have no sense of consciousness about the, what we're suffering from today. So sooner or later, everyone's going to be impacted. So my suggestion is if you have debt, get out of debt. If you have mortgages, get out of the mortgage, sell what you have. Put your money into gold, silver. My suggestion, what I would do is gold, silver, and treasury bonds because that, those are the, the gold and silver will go through the roof because they've been artificially manipulated, and we know that. That's not a conspiracy theory. They were found guilty and had to pay a fine for con, uh, manipulating the price of gold, silver, and other commodities. And also that was separate from the LIBOR conspiracy of manipulating the overall um, interest rate each day. So they have played the whole system to their advantage. Never listen to these talking heads on television. They are, the, they are being manipulated. They know how to play within the system. Hope that answers your question. Yes, uh, I was wondering, will this president will not be able to leave his office since this uh, voting would come into a, a crisis? No, the, no, he'll leave office. Hillary Clinton will take over. And Hillary Clinton will be the reincarnation of George Bush Sr. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. By the way, he's voting for her, as is Donald Rumsfeld. What does it tell you? What should it have told Michael Moore when all the Fortune 500 people were voting for her? The chemical industry heads are voting for her. The banking industry heads are voting for her. All the people in the military industrial complex are voting for her. All the energy cartel heads, oil, nuclear, gas, hydrofracking, are voting for her. And what does that tell you when you don't have a single progressive voting for her? Do you really think they'd be voting for her if they didn't already believe or have assurances that they would be protected and their income and power grow even more? So, you know, Michael can get his Pied Piper outfit on and, and lead those who are not critical thinkers over to that big party, but it's not going to be a good ending for people. Thank you. Let's say hello to David from Wyoming. David, your turn. Gary, I'm getting such good reception on my smartphone. <laughs> Oftentimes when I dial into the program, and it's, it's kind of tough to understand. One thing I'll say about sometimes when I listen to you, your voice is so deep, and maybe my cheap smartphone, too, because it's, it's sometimes hard to understand what you're saying. Man, you cover so many subjects. It amazes me. You know, what popped into my mind while I've been listening is this, this, uh, this word democracy that everybody's throwing around. We're not a democracy. I learned in junior high from a wonderful American government teacher. In fact, I would say she had more influence on me than, than uh, well, uh, for all my teachers, I'd rate her in the top three or four. And she explained, of course, that we are a republic of the aristocracy. Now, of course, at that time, there was some, there was actually a, there was the, the working class or the people that earn the value of things, create the value of things, uh, was pretty well represented by the Democratic Party. But, uh, of course, that's no longer the case. Now, listening to this last program, I caught the tail end of it. And uh, I wasn't sure, but it's, I've been trying for the longest time 
Well, since the the uh, Republicans started rejecting Trump, why the heck are they rejecting Trump? But this last guest that you had on kind of enlightened me. Trump's not going to go along with this idea of, uh, yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're coming to one culture worldwide if we don't blow ourselves off the map just because of technologies. But David, so do I, this. I, D- David, we've got a full board, and I want to get to some other people. You've made a couple interesting points. My suggestion is that you go to archives tomorrow, download the Progressive Commentary Hour, so you can listen to Danny Sheehan in its entirety. It's a whole history lesson in geopolitical maneuvering and who was behind it, names, places, dates. It's a wonderful lesson to learn. And then realize the reason that they fear Trump is because we know how damaging to the world, to the environment, to the body politic Hillary Clinton will be. Trump will not have that same capacity. He is the lesser of evils, but Jill Stein is the better call on that, and that's what we should be doing. They can't control Trump, and if they can't control a a person, they don't want anything to do with him. Remember, they killed John F. Kennedy because they no longer could control him. He wanted to get out of Vietnam, and he wasn't allowing uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the head of the Air Force, Curtis LeMay and others, to nuke the uh, submarines that were outside the coast of Cuba, which would have caused a war with Russia, and hence he was disposed of. And, and on another program, I dealt with that in depth. So with Trump, he's not JFK. He's a 14-year-old in a hall of mirrors with a thousand mirrors all reflecting on himself. He is incapable of any higher conscious thought. He's vulgar. He's misogynist. He's racist. He's a lot of things. But he, he wouldn't start a war uh, using NATO against Russia. He would not invade other countries. Uh, so there's a lot he would not do. And the military-industrial complex needs that war. So thank you, David, from Wyoming. Nanny, let's keep our questions short and to the point now. Nanny from New Jersey. Manny, your turn. Hi, Gary. Nice to talk to you. Um, basically, my question is, there is no way that I think I can vote for uh, Hillary Clinton. And since uh, Ms. Stein isn't going to win, I mean, what is my vote for her going to do? Jill, a, a vote? No. You, you don't waste for... Look at it like this. Jill Stein represents a movement, a movement of people who have higher ideals of what a real democracy should represent one vote, one person, not a hedge fund manager, not a casino operator who can give enough money that it's immaterial how many people vote. They can control the voting, they can control the voting machines. Jill Stein represents the person who will turn off the lights for all those corporate interests. She's a humanist, she's highly educated, she's a a physician from Harvard University, and she, when I challenged her on 35 points, would you get all the military bases closed in Europe? Yes. Would you f- close down the Federal Reserve and go to money printing with no interest from the uh, from the Treasury? Yes. Uh, would you uh, outlaw hydrofracking? Yes. Would you close down nuclear plants? Yes. Uh, would you hold those accountable for past crimes uh, responsible and bring them to trial on Crimes Against Humanity? Yes. So all the questions that I found important for an enlightened society, she supports. So we lose this election, yes, of course we will, and probably the next one. But if we continue to gain strength by sharing positive ideas, what we can do, including dealing with the environment, then in five, ten years, we'll have enough strength and enough support that we can run a true independent humanitarian for office so you don't look at today. You look at the future. That's Jill Stein. Thank you, Manny. Um, let's uh, also say hello to Gerald from Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Gerald. Your turn. Gerald, your turn. Speak up, please. No? Gerald's not there? Okay. Then we will... Let's see who else we have. You can call us at 888-874-4888, 
We're going to take a brief music break and come right back and take on more of the issues that you find important. Nice to have you with us, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Let's go back over now to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, your next question, please. Yes, um, we have a long email from a lady called Carolyn from South Beach. Um, and she's basically saying she uh, uh, there was a lecture that you gave about six years ago. And from that, she changed her career. She was wa- working on Wall Street. She moved down to Florida. But now she's understanding that Florida is not going to be sustainable. And uh, she's saying here, I'm going to, I I want to start over. Where would you begin? Where would you advise that she begin? Well, a lot of people are realizing this is the time in their life where they should start over because they've lived long enough in this safety zone of living with perpetual daily Groundhog Day diligence, to ritual. You should not be living by ritual. You should not be living by simple structured dogma. You should not be living with some notion that as long as you get through today, it's a good day. We shouldn't wait till the weekends or the holidays or some anniversary to feel enlightened and and joyful. That means we've stayed too long in this chapter of our life. So we have to become detoxified and cleansed from unhealthy perceptions and beliefs. In effect, we have to ask, what no longer works my life? Whether it's people or work or environment or food, what do I need to change? And then have the courage to change it. The trouble is we believe that we, we can do something piecemeal. We're, we're afraid of just uncluttering. And if you've ever tried to help someone unclutter, you'll see that the moment you want to unclutter, no matter how dirty and filthy and jammed garbage is, they'll find some rationalization why that thing you want to throw away or give away is still has some relevance. It doesn't. Their whole life has become clutter. When we don't have a life, we have clutter. So imagine the clutter in your life. So start to unclutter your life. Everything that you thought was important Ask yourself honestly, do you really need it today? If you don't, give it away, throw it away, or keep it, but make it minimum. Then you need to become your authentic self. Then you have to become sustainable. Only make your choices based upon sustainability. Where are the best places to live that are sustainable? Do I need to buy something? Can I rent something? Sustainable. Do I have a place that's got water and food? Am I around progressive-minded people? Sustainable. What's the good of living in a building that no one in the building ever says hello to you? What's the good of being in a neighborhood if no one in the neighborhood has anything that they relate with you or you to them? The comfort of strangers is not comfort. It's negative adaptation. You have to stop the battle between your authentic self and your conditioned self. You have, to, you have to write a new story for the next chapter in your life. Even if it may sound fanciful or implausible, what would you love to do more than anything else? And then that's what you should do. Live an authentic life. Live a life of meaning and purpose. And when you make your move, you will find there will be new friends, new adventures, new people to harmonize with. And you think, wow. Why did I stay where I was at, whether it's a job or a relationship or a place, for so long? Because of fear. We have a terrifying 
notion that if we make a choice, someone else is going to be disappointed in the choice and judge us because of it. So we're living through other people's expectations of us rather than living because we want to be honest with ourselves. That's it for that question. Now, we also have Luanne Panessi on the line. Let's go over and say hello to Luanne Panessi, and I'll be taking some more calls in a few moments. Here's the number to call, 888-874-488. Well, we've already heard from Manny from New Jersey, and we heard from David from Wyoming, and Bernard from Queens, and uh, Gerald from Atlanta, and several people from around the United States who had written to Elizabeth. So if you'd like to join in, please do so. I will save some time for about three or four calls. But let's go over and say hello to one of America's foremost holistic nurses who has gone on her own journey of health and happiness and healing. She's recently relocated with her partner, Peter, to an ideal bucolic environment where they have wonderful people around them, different environment altogether than New York. And I remember the last day she was in New York, she came by the office and she said, wow, she said it was a two-hour commute in. It would be an hour and a half to two-hour commute back at night. And where I'm going, there's no commute at all. And uh, to start over. It takes courage to start over. And she has, and she's motivated other people as well. Nice to have you with us, Luann. Thank you so much, Gary. Uh, I'm signing up people for your upcoming retreats, and I'm listening to you carefully on the air tonight. And... I think some of the most important things that people get from the retreat, and I know that I got when I came to your very first retreat in Texas, was that I got perspective, I got context for current events and for what was happening in my life. And I had a very myopic view of my life and what I was doing. And the retreats gave me an opportunity to pause and step back and say, wait a minute, I've dedicated my life to caring for people in the hospital and my staff for 18 years. Have I seen people heal? And it was astounding when I realized that I had given my whole youth to this hospital, all of my time and my energy and my dedication. And again, that effort. And one of the first things I learned, it's not about effort. It's about results. So I was putting in all kinds of effort and not getting results. And that's when I realized it was time to rediscover me, which was kind of terrifying in a way because I didn't know who I was without my job and without the walls around me and my, my salary and my benefits. But it was an exciting step that I took. And being at the retreat gave me the opportunity to develop that strength, that inner strength and courage. And what happened was I ended up terminating my position, and I went on a quest to become certified and credentialed in integrative and alternative medicine. I got my four-year degree in, in Chinese medicine after I got my master's degree in natural health. I went on to become a wellness coach and a health coach. I became a public speaker. I do individual counseling, and I never look back. And then <laughs> I recently said, okay, I love what I do. I'm helping people, and I'm getting results, and let's take it to the next level. How can I affect and influence greater amounts of people in good, in good ways? And, again, coming to the retreat helps you get perspective and context on what's happening in your own life, and you're able to then take a broader look at what's going on around you in current events, and suddenly everything makes more sense to you. Instead of just doing things by rote, you're actually engaging in your own life. You're not living someone else's expectations of you. This was critical, and this is what I've seen people doing at retreats. Now, if people want to attend your next retreat, we have one coming up in January that's going to be in Florida and another one coming up in April, the first week in April, the 2nd to the 8th. In Florida, it's the 8th through the 14th. It's not for everyone. It's only for people that are ready to take that next step and rediscover who they are, maybe 
broaden their own horizon in terms of their knowledge base and really be around like-minded people who are eager to learn about sustainability, about getting along as a community, about organic food and how delicious it is. That always impresses me. You were talking before about roughage, and I'll never forget one of the retreats. This one guy came came out, came out of the bathroom, and he was jumping up and down on a park bench by one of your animal enclosures. And I'm like, what's up with this guy? He was so excited. He had the largest bowel movement he ever had in his life because the food, it's not only is it delicious, but it's loaded with healthy roughage. So it kind of cleans you out. So, <laughs> you know, my father... I'm Italian. Man was never so happy until after he had a bowel movement every day. Yeah, when you have a clean colon, it means everything to your health. In Chinese medicine, the colon runs the immune system along with the lungs. So want to keep that colon clean. Okay, so we help you to learn about this stuff. Let's put this in perspective because we're coming up the end of the program. There's only going to be two retreats for the next year and a half. That's it. My schedule doesn't provide me with the time otherwise. We're still looking for the right location in a nice January weather down in Florida, but we don't have that location. We'll find a beautiful place and rent it. And in Texas, uh, we're going to rent a beautiful place. In any case, these are beautiful environments. The food is organic. We've got juicing all day long, power walking in the morning, doing gym workouts, water aerobics, meditation, tai chi, yoga, uh, artist healing, herb classes, cooking classes, uh, all the types of classes like sprouting and microgreen planting and homesteading. I lecture every night. Luann's counseling all day. So you you couldn't go anywhere else in the world and get everything you get at one of these retreats. And But people have to believe that they deserve it. They have to believe that they can bring something new into their life that wasn't there before, de-stressing, detoxing, and rejuvenating the three big things we need to start our new journey or to enhance the journey we're on. Because if you become healthier, if you become happier, if you become more focused, imagine how that's going to spill over in in including enhancing your relationships, your work, your mindset. Many people come with anxiety and depression, maybe hidden, maybe not clinically diagnosed, sometimes it is. And I've yet to see anyone leave with those same conditions. It's amazing what allow, can be allowed to change if you show up. But too often, I meet people in life who are angry because they missed the opportunities they should have taken. They had some feeble excuse for not doing something when the opportunity uh, came. And the average person, they will not look forward to something like this because they don't want to change. They're happy the way they are. Even right up until their heart attack, their diabetes, their, their, and their, their, their death. In my own personal family, members wouldn't change, no matter what I did and suggested. And imagine how frustrating that is. I've been able to help more strangers than I did people that I knew. Ron McCauldy, Tom Croft, George Marcus, Marty Feldman, uh, all the Virginia Reed, the people I've known, Wynn Latronic, my whole life. And I couldn't get any of them to do the right thing. They were wonderful people. I loved them, their friendship. And yet they wouldn't eat right, they wouldn't exercise right, they wouldn't do right, and frustrating. So I just feel blessed that they were in my life for whatever period they were. I just wish they were here today. And I know many of you have family members also you'd like to help to live a longer and healthier life, but I'm sure you've also met the frustration of people resisting your changing. Well, we can't change people. We can, as I said to Elizabeth earlier, we can't push ropes uphill. We have to work with people who show up ready for change. When people come to our health support groups, 50% of the people come the first day a week are not there the next meeting because when we tell them what's expected, they say, I'm not going to do that. And then after that, another 25% won't come to the next meeting. But the people come for three of those meetings, they stay the whole time and they make amazing changes in their lives I've seen people reverse multiple sclerosis. I've seen people reverse Parkinson's. I've seen people reverse Alzheimer's disease, advanced Alzheimer's disease. We've seen people reverse, and they may be even listening now, the Ortega family, Jonathan Ortega. Um, And these people would be dead today 
but their live vitalism is thriving through them. They're living on a high-voltage, happy place. And it started when they showed up. So we must show up for opportunity. And what generally tells us about a thousand times in our ear, you don't need to do that, there's nothing special, make your own glass of carrot juice and, you know, you're doing the same thing. That's your epigenetic conditioned self talking. And your conscious self, which we only use about 3 to 4% a day, that's where your journey has to start. So if you want to change your life, if you want a happier, healthier, more dynamic life, then right now give Luann a call. We're going to limit it to 25 people in January and 30 people in April. That's it. And we always fill up. And, and then people can come and bring a positive smile and we can help you no matter what the challenges are in life. So how about that? Give Luann a call. She'll go over everything with you. Her number is 973-766-2214. Again, 973-766-2214. Final thoughts, Luann? Well, Gary, again, it's not for everyone. I interview every single person. So you can be sure that the people who are going to be there are going to be happy, upbeat, like-minded people who, like you, are ready to take the next step in their lives. Good. Call Luann, 973-766-2214. 973-766-2214. And for every excuse you give yourself not to call, give yourself a more constructive, positive reason to call. You're worth it, and you only appreciate how much change you can see in yourself and other people when you show up and experience that week of revitalization, detoxification, energy through the roof. I'm Gary Knoll. This is Talk Back. Thank you all for listening. I look forward to sharing more on our next program. Have a nice day.